Holy bleep. It's Tuesday, October 26. <laughs> I can't believe it. Halloween coming up. This is the macro setup. I'm Guy Adami. I'm joined as always by my dear friend, Dan Nathan. Today's episode is being brought to you by a presenting sponsors, plural, IGUS, one of the fastest growing Forex dealers in North America. And oh, by the way, uh, backed by popular demand, we're going to be joined by the great Daniela Sabine Hawthorne, market analyst with IG. And of course, our other presenting sponsor, the guys and gals at Open Exchange, because Dan, they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Yet again, I am geeked up. Market's never going down again, Dan. How are you? All right. What was that um, That one candy that you used to take out of your kid's bag guy when they got Charleston back? Charleston Chew. It was Charleston always, you would Chew. search in there for the Charleston Chews? Yeah. Is that, I, is that a bad thing? I don't no, know. No, and, and I'll tell you this. You know what mine is? The Butterfinger. You know why? Because it's my wife's oh. favorite. And I would go in there and I'd get them for my wife and I'd put them aside. There you go. Okay. Butterfingers. Can I just, I'm going to give you a hot take and I'm not allowed, if, I'm, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. Butterfingers suck. Nobody likes the people that invented Butterfingers don't like Butterfingers. You're anyway, wrong. Please. Homer Simpson, huge fan. All right, let's do it, man. We got markets absolutely raging here. Runaway breakout. Our main man, Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Guys, check out his stuff. He's on the Twitter. Go to the website there. Um, he does his charts every day. This tweet, guy, this tweet, it kind of knocked you off your chair a little bit. What does it say to you? Read it out for us. What does it, it say It encapsulates to you? everything that's going on. The five largest stocks in the S&P 500. So the S&P 500 has 500 stocks. So five of 500 is 1%. So 1% with a combined market cap of $9.23 trillion represents 22.1% of the index and their report earnings this week. Curiously, which is a difficult word to say, the other six times when these five companies reported earnings in the same calendar week, the S&P five, 500 was down for that week. Well, there you go. Carter just laid it out. But as we sit here, Dan, and we're going to look at a chart, that S&P 500 saying, no mas, Carter. You're wrong this time there, sucker. Or we'll see, there's a lot of time left, Dan. Or maybe not. I mean, look at this. This is not a particularly great setup. You want to buy those names. You know, Microsoft powered its way back to its all-time highs before the S&P did. It was one of the largest stocks to make a new all-time high during that downdraft in September. So we're going to get Microsoft. We're going to get Apple. We're going to get Amazon. And we're going to get the Alphabet guy, Adami. We have Facebook. It was already down into its print a little bit. Now it's down um, afterwards. I think it's down 17% or so. We're going to look at that one in a second from its all-time highs here but this is not a great setup to buy a move like this guy we've gone up what seven percent in a straight line after the last two and a half weeks so those guys are going to have to put up huge beats and raises to get this thing going that much higher so i like carter's stat there a little bit yeah we played a game on fast money a few weeks ago it's probably longer than that now choose your adventure and carter was sort of the crux of this and my adventure was, you know, I thought the S&P 500 would trade down to 4,100 and close the year significantly higher than the prior all-time high. Well, we got down to 4,270 or so, and here we are at 4,600. Uh, it's interesting. Carter brings up some extraordinary points, as always. But this S&P chart, to your point, Dan, it's getting a little ahead of itself. And maybe we're going to exhaust it uh, on this week of extraordinary earnings. Let's take a look at our next uh, chart, as they say, which you can't go from the S&P to the you have to look at the NDX. And this is not, Dan, validating some of the highs we're seeing in the S&P 500. And to a certain extent, a lot of it has to do, I think, with the letter F and B. 
Yeah, there's a couple ways to think about this. So the S&P has already broken out and it's just kind of off to the races, or at least it feels that way. So here we are, the NASDAQ 100, where those same five stocks, Guy, that made up 22% of the S&P 500, they make up 45% of the NASDAQ 100, okay? So without them participating, it's going to be really hard to make new highs here. So like you just mentioned, the Facebook is down a little bit. Let's see, we got Microsoft um, today after the close and the rest of them. I guess what this chart says to me, though, about the S&P 500, the broader market, is that they're seeing good breadth, right? So the market, the rally is broadening out away from some of these prior leaders or these mega cap names. So I can see that as bullish. And I'll just say with both of these charts, that 50-day moving average that's gone basically sideways over the last two months, if you think about it right here, um, that should be support near term. That's just above 15,000 um, in the NDX. And then all the way down there, you see that lonely 200-day moving average guy down me, that yellow line here. It's also very near the breakout level from mid-June to new highs. So if there's any reason for the NDX or those five big names to go lower, and we should just throw Tesla in there. That crossed a trillion dollars in market cap yesterday. So those six names to go lower from here, you're going to be sniffing 14,000 in the NDX in the not-so-distant future. The great Roy Orbison sang a song, Only the Lonely. You mentioned that. But Facebook is feeling pretty lonely. Now, just let me let me stop here for a second, Dan, if I may. Last night on CNBC's Fast Money, when Facebook was trading either side of $340 post earnings, Melissa came to you and said, Dan, what do you think? And you said, my sense is that this will be negative by the opening tomorrow. And man, oh, man, Dan, you nailed that one. Here we are smack dab right at the 200-day moving average again. That was a wonderful call by you. Yeah, just a little bit of a trade school. And obviously, I could have easily been wrong. The thing could have been off to the races. But when you have price action in the aftermarket before investors, large investors, are able to kind of digest what is a new earnings guidance, you know, to me, I don't really put a lot of stock in those sorts of post-market moves. We know the liquidity can be really low. And if you think about it, that Q4 guide, despite the valuation, there's a lot of headwinds here. And I think if you're a large holder of this stock and and you have been enjoyed gains for years and years, the story might be changing. The narrative might be changing here. So when I look at this chart on a one-year basis here, I see that breakout level guy from the spring around 300 bucks. I see the stock now over the last few days just hovering on that 200-day moving average, getting a little lift here and there. But you tell me what happens. The more times you test that level, the weaker that support becomes. And I don't know, man, I'm kind of feeling like if it can't really bounce right here and make an attempt to fill in in that gap from last uh, Friday, you're going to be testing 300 in the not so distant future. I think it was the outlaw Josie Wales, and you mentioned that the other day when they were trying to break this giant rock to get the water flowing in and just bang it with a sledgehammer over and over again. And at a certain point, that rock's going to break. I think that's your point. Well, you know what hasn't broken one way or the other is this RTY, which is effectively the small caps. And we've been, listen, it seems like I am a broken record because, quite frankly, I am. But this has now been sideways for the better part of nine and a half or 10 months in a very well-defined range. We're creating a bit of a pennant, I guess. Um, we're going to break one way or another in a significant way. Now, if rates continue to go higher, people will say, you know what? Rates are going higher because the economy's better. If the economy's better, the most economically sensitive names should do better. And that should lend to the RTY trading higher. I would sort of take the other side. 
But as they say, Dan, that's what makes markets. Yeah, you just mentioned that if rates are going higher and this this index trades higher with rates, it's because the economy is perceived to be doing better. You know, I'm not so sure about that. If you think about some of the bottlenecks we're seeing in the supply chains and a lot of people thinking that some of these price increases that we're seeing, whether they be in wages or um, other inputs are here for a while, rates might be getting ahead of what they think the Fed policy is just dead wrong, right? And that might not equate to... Um, a strength in the economy. If anything, we knew that the economy in the back half of this year and into 22 would be decelerating based on some of the trends that we saw late last year. So to me, this one's tough. I suspect it uh, remains range bound. If you were to break that long technical resistance level, well, you know what happens there, guy. That becomes support. As you would say, you start trading against that on the long side, I guess I'm just in your head, man. I've been sitting next to you for what, 10, 11 years doing this sort of thing. And we I can feel just, bad. Like, yes, we can just finish each that. other's sentences unless we disagree with each other. In this one, you know, do you play for a breakout here? Let's get through Q3 earnings. Let's see the sort of visibility that U.S. corporations have here. And if it looks not as bad or priced in, then you play this one for a bit of a catch-up trade. In my well, you folks, you folks of a certain age might remember a, an artist named Dave Mason. He sang a song, We Just Disagree. You also may remember um, a show called... <laughs> Um, what's that with uh, Pick Me, Monty? Do you remember that show, Dan? Pick Me, Monty? No? You don't remember that? Door yeah, number yeah, one, yeah. door number two, yeah, door yeah, number yeah, three. Yeah. Let's show. make a, a deal. Show. Well, we go. did uh, door number one. That was Carter Worth. Door number two comes in the form of David Rosenberg. Now, this um, headline is a bit hyperbolic because he is not a long-term bear. I think David Rosenberg does extraordinarily thoughtful work, but he was responding to a tweet from Jack Dorsey, the CEO of both Twitter and Square. Jack put out hyperinflation is here. Get ready. And he said, David Rosenberg said, those warnings are, and I'm quoting now, Dan, totally ridiculous. Thoughts? I thought it was just a really weird comment here in a way. I mean, obviously, Jack Dorsey is a huge uh, Bitcoin maximalist. OK, so, um, you know, if a lot of, uh, you know, the the existence of crypto in general or Bitcoin in particular was really um, meant to be an inflation hedge or a hedge against the degradation of fiat currency, well, hyperinflation fits that narrative pretty well. Um, you know, Jack is a pretty thoughtful guy. I think everyone who knows him would say that. Um, this seemed just like a very odd comment. And I listen, I'm with you, man. I mean, Rosie is one of the most thoughtful guys. Was he a little early and ridiculed for being early about calling the financial crisis in 2006 and seven? Yeah, man. But all the reasons that he identified were the reasons why we literally saw the economy come down to its knees. So I love listening to Rosie. I'm a huge fan of his and I agree with this one but i guess the the point here guys what do you do if we even have sustained high inflation if it doesn't prove to be transitory yeah i mean hyperinflation was a bit hyperbolic but i mean it all comes listen it all comes down to the u.s 10 years right i mean that to me this and the dollar are the two most important charts and we traded up to i think 168 169 last week in the 10 year back down about 163 and a half 164 I think rates are sticky here. And when I say it's sticky, I think they continue to grind higher. I think we're going to take out that 177 or so level we saw back on March 30th, I believe. And then we're off to the races in terms of yields. Again, I think I know what it means for equities, but it doesn't mean I'm right. I think it's going to be really um, difficult for equities to rally in this environment if rates do go higher. Other people would say differently. They'll say that is economic strength and stocks should do well in that environment. We will see. But 
you know, hyperinflation, no inflation, yes, which means to me rates are going higher, Dan. Yeah, you know, listen, we have some sort of guide. I know that things are very different this time when you think of the size of the Fed balance sheet and the size of the, the quantitative easing that they're doing that they're supposedly going to start tapering um, pretty soon. But back in 13, 14, 15, you know, when the Fed were coming off that QE or tapering QE and contemplating coming off a zero interest rate policy, there was a good bit of equity volatility. And when you think about the concentrations that we have in a small group of names that have proven to be very sensitive to higher rates. When you think back to Q1 of this year, the NASDAQ went unchanged at one point in March when rates were very near their high because investors were moving out of some of these kind of recurring revenue models, these kind of more secure moats, if you will, and moving into more GDP-sensitive names. They underperformed. They started taking off when rates started coming in. So to me, I do think that there is risk to the equity market, especially when you consider forward valuations at multi-year highs, decade-long um, highs. And when I look at this chart of the 10-year guy, we see that we drew this little triangle pattern here. It broke up to the upside. You see the converging 200-day and the 50-day. If it were to pull back, that downtrend where those converging uh, moving averages makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. It looks like one four two. But your question about what does it mean if rates are higher? What does it mean, guy, if rates go precipitously lower? Does it mean uh... that we're having a bit of a growth scare? And then that would play into that whole issue of stagflation, which might also be hyperbolic as we're using that word in this little segment here. But this chart's pretty interesting. Let's see if we can get back to those March highs. Let's see how stocks act on the upside. I would just say stocks don't seem to be too bothered with the 10-year where it is right now. If we had to move 20 bips higher or 20 bips lower, that might be the reason either way for stocks to sell off. Yeah, it's been interesting to see if and when what happens that when the 50-day crosses through the 200-day, um, but that is, we're, we're not there yet. Dollar we have to talk about because, again, as important as yields are, the dollar is, in my opinion, equally important. We had that big move up to 94.5 or so in the DXY. I don't want to say we failed because I, we're still in that area, so we'll see. But obviously, we were rejected at that uh, prior high back in November-ish of 2020. What are your thoughts here on the DXY, Dan? Listen, this is a constructive chart. And I know that from fundamental reasons, Guy, you think it's going lower. And if you believe in the inflation story or the hyperinflation story, which again, I don't think you do, then this thing is going lower. But you you know, you got a little back and fill here. You have a nice uptrend from the start of the summer here. Holds that, holds the 50-day, test those prior highs. Again, you might have a breakout here. So to me, you know, I'm kind of positively disposed on the Dixie right here. And especially if you think rates are going higher. But Guy, I got to tell you, man, this one has turned into the widow maker on the flip mm. side of that, that other sort of inflation hedge that doesn't seem to work when their inflation fears are at their highest that they've been in decades right here. The XAU, the gold chart. Here's a two year, man. It is in a well-defined downtrend. You see it right there. That 200 a at about 1790 or so. It just seems to be meandering, though, a series of of lower highs here. You yeah. see the support just above what looks like to be a bit of a double bottom just below 1700. What do you do with this thing here, man? You're coming at me hard here. I knew where yeah. you were going. I mean, yeah. I could hear it in your voice. You know, I threw a little stuff at you. You're throwing it back at me again. I love it. What does it mean? Well, look, gold's been extraordinarily difficult since last summer, August to be exact. I think it was what, Dan, August 7th when it traded up to that 2075 level, but it's been tough ever since. And it should work in this environment, but now the crypto's at two and a half trillion. I think 
market cap, industry, security, whatever you want to call it. Obviously, that's taken some of the um, fuel away from the gold move. I still think higher for the, all the reasons that I've talked about for months now, but it's very hard to make a bullish case for gold. Maybe Danielle can talk me through it when she comes on. But, you know, we see you're saying to yourself now, well, why haven't you mentioned crude so in, in the first 15 minutes? Well, relax, people, because we're going to talk about door number three in a second. And what is we talking about? Well, it's Tom Lee, who's been a stud. FX, FS Insight, Fundstrat. That's Tom, and he's been right. Now, listen, I know over the summer that OIH trade gave up the ghost in a major way, but it's back on its horse. He says stick with energy and stick with Bitcoin. It's hard to um, push back against that, Dan. Yeah, if you look at um, crude oil in particular and that breakout that you've seen here, it's just on a runaway here. And that's one of the most constructive charts, I would say, that we look at in the macro universe here. And there's just some fundamental kind of tailwinds going on. And I think Tom has been all over that. He's been um, buyers on dip here. We also know that Tom is a massive Bitcoin bull, and he has a whole host of reasons of why this thing works in this environment. So when you look at the two of them, you know, I'm all in on the Bitcoin. Listen, I'm a believer, when I say all in, I mean, you buy the dips. And the problem that you have, if you're like me, and you're just kind of crypto curious a little bit, is those dips that you start buying, oh, down 10%, that looks kind of like a good level. It could go down 20%. It could go down 40%. It was down 55% at its lows from its highs in April down to its lows in the summer. That's a really tough dip to buy here. And I think one of the reasons why we label in the media, not we, me and you, but sometimes you see those headlines like a rosy, you know, long time bear or perma bull, um, because they have people who stick to their guns. They have fundamental reasons for doing what they're doing. And I think Tom has them both here in energy and in crypto. I'm just more of a dip buyer in crypto. I think that, you know, crude oil in particular is going to remain very, very cyclical here and probably underperform forms many other macro assets over the next 10 years or so. So I suspect Bitcoin and other crypto coins um, or crypto assets will outperform. So I'm more in that camp, Guy. Let's take a look at the crude oil. You mentioned Runaway. You know, you would think I'd be a big Bon Jovi fan. I am not. Um, I don't know. But Runaway, obviously, one of their hits. I find that song just to be like needle, uh, fingernails on the chalkboard. Is that what the kids say? But you know what's Runaway here? is crude oil. And I'm going to stand by this, Dan. I think you see triple digits by the end of the year. I'm not saying 150, but can it print 100? Yeah, I think it can. Here we are. We're through trend lines. We've done everything we need to do. Um, I think, and this is just my opinion, I think the the oil market is challenging this new administration. And I think they might make some policy errors in the form of release from the SPR. That's just my view. That's not the fundamental case here. But um, crude has been a very interesting chart over the last month and a half, two months, Dan Nathan. Yeah, I look at the steepness of that, you know, breakout here and the move off of the lows in August. I see that, you know, the, the level of the breakout here. And I'm going to say, I'm going to take the other side of you, guy. I'm going to say 75 before 95. How's that, buddy? I see. I, like, I think I like we see a pullback back towards that 50-day moving average. I think once we kind of get back like past some of these issues about the bottlenecks. And I do think that's going to bait a little bit. So that's just my quick take there on crude. But, you know, I get it. It's been a great momentum trade and buy the dips. I'm with Tom. FS Insight, buddy. Uh, FX, F, it's hard for me to say. FS really Insight. Is. Let's take a look at the Bitcoin, please, because you mentioned you're crypto curious. I don't even know what that means. I think I know what it means. You're interested in it. You find it fascinating. So you you read a lot about it. But 
did I guess the question is, have we made a double top and are we going to retest sort it down to that 45,000 level, which is a 200 day moving average? That's really I think when the rubber hits the road, I think that's what a lot of people are trying to figure out, not because they're going to panic. I think a lot of people, to your point, want to buy more if it gets there. Yeah, and I think they have been buying more. And our friend Brian Kelly, you know, he runs a digital asset um, investment firm. And, you know, he says the volatility is a feature. It's not a bug here. And so when you look at these charts and you see this back and fill sort of action here, um, you're kind of waiting after a move from 40,000 to 65,000 or 66,000 of new highs for a move um, on a pullback. Look at that consolidation level that we had just a couple weeks ago. It's probably about 55,000. And then the 50-day moving average down there at 51,300. I mean, if you get down there, that's where you start picking at this thing. I think you want to buy on pullbacks. You don't want to buy breakouts per se. I don't think you do just because look at the way this thing comes in. And if you own it lower and you end up buying some on an 80% move over a short period of time, um, you know, you're going to have to, that's going to be a tough way to average into something like this. It depends on your time horizon, obviously. But to me, I think a pullback towards that consolidation from a few weeks ago in the mid fifties, somewhere of 54, 55,000. That's when I start picking at this thing. You know what time it is. It's time to bring in Daniela Sabine Hawthorne. Daniela, how are you? You've heard Dan and I musing about certain things. Before we get to your thoughts about Bitcoin and others, thoughts on what you've just heard us waxing poetic about. Hey, guys. Well, I think I'm going to have to side with Dan uh, this time in terms of uh, the energy and crypto market. Uh, I do think crude is going to be a bit more cyclical, as he was saying, and Bitcoin has more potential. Um, so I'm on him on that. I feel like we do see a bit of a pullback, as he was saying, on the easing of the supply bottlenecks um, and constraints that we've seen, uh, whereas Bitcoin technically for me has a lot more potential. This is going into the daily chart here. Um, I have to say there have been a few headlines out in the last few days about cryptocurrencies. We've seen um, payment platforms, payment networks talking about offering Bitcoin to their clients. We've also seen speculation about China coming back on their clamp down on Bitcoin mining. There's even been Elon Musk confirming his holdings of cryptocurrencies over the weekend. And Bitcoin was, of course, on there. So that's obviously what's been going on recent days. But the reality of it is that cryptocurrencies have been outperforming for the last month or so, regardless. And I think this is because they've been taken advantage of these displaced funds from, from weakening equities. So in a way, there's been the face of stagflation. We've talked about this already. Um, and I feel like cryptos have been able to attract investors that are looking for higher returns, given that stock markets remain at all-time highs, but the short-term outlook is quite uncertain. So I think in terms of, of what's presented to us here, that's why I believe Bitcoin has a lot more potential right now than in terms of crude and all that. Um, if we look at the current chart, I mean, Bitcoin has been impressive, um, a 50% rise since the beginning of the new quarter. This obviously, to me, has a lot to do with FOMO. People see Bitcoin rising. People want to get in there. They don't want to miss an opportunity. Um, so I expect momentum to build further. It's not unusual to see some consolidation around current levels as we're seeing. Um, and I think it's also a good way for healthy uh, it's a healthy way for more momentum to build. Um, and I feel like buying the tip, dip, as Dan was mentioning, is the way to go around this. So um, for me, if we stay above 57,000 over the next few days, I see 70,000 over the next few weeks. Um, yeah, and I, no, and I think a lot of people in your camp, Meltem Demers, uh, thinks 100,000 by the end of the year. You mentioned it's not unusual. Great song by the great Tom Jones from Wales, I believe. 
But I digress. You've also brought with you, I love this, a differential chart. So this is U.S. 10-year against dollar-yen. Fascinating. You've brought this before, something that I hadn't seen, but now something that I look at almost on a daily basis. Can you speak to this? Yeah, I wanted to bring it back because um, I presented this two weeks ago to kind of show how to trade kind of the dollar and, and, and a dollar pair into a U.S. CPI release that we saw two weeks ago. And as you were mentioning um, you were saying that you see rates grind higher, Guy, probably to 177. So looking at this chart, if you are trading a dollar pair with these rates going higher, the only way you can really say dollar yen is going, it's, it's going higher, right? Because of the way it's been moving. So if you are effectively thinking that all these inflation pressures um, is going to send yields higher, and especially the yields on, on the 10-year bond, then essentially dollar yen is going higher. And it's going to be quite central bank heavy from here on as the currency pairs that we're going to be looking at. But big banks that are coming. We've got the, the BOJ on Thursday and we've got the Fed next um, Wednesday. And these rate differentials, differentials are only going to start to get wider and wider as we see possibly the Fed diverted into a more hawkish stance. While reality, and the reality is that the Bank of Japan isn't really going to move from where they are like they haven't been able to do in the last few years. So this is definitely a pair to trade this. If we go to the next slide, it's actually a slide of pound yen. Now, again, I bought this two weeks ago. Very interesting setup. It's actually crossed both above those February 2018 highs. That was the target I was looking at last week. And I feel like this is a great way to also trade the Bank of England meeting, which is next uh, Thursday. So very intensive few days and week ahead of central bank meetings. And I think the fact with the pound is that expectations about interest rates in the country have gotten out of hand. We saw Bank of England Governor Bailey say over the weekend that the Bank of England will have to act to keep liquidity and to keep inflationary pressures on lid. Um, but expectations have led to the pound being over, overly hawkish, I think, in its positioning. So it's kind of drawing back into what you guys were saying earlier. Do higher UK interest rates swallow, you know, slow down growth or does it, is it a good sign for the economy? And I think when we're facing a, a the possibility of stagflation that markets are concerned about now where we have stagnant growth and higher inflation are interest rate hikes going to help or is it just going to show you know the, the the lack of central bank intervention in the previous year so for me if you want to trade a pair going into the bank of england meeting this is probably the, the trade you want to do um and just seeing how this pair has behaved lately it, it's definitely a good way to trade and i feel do you see any more upside in the pound given how highly hawkish, you know, the, the markets are on the Bank of England. And it's highly unlikely that some of the more dovish members like Tenrero will actually move to the hawkish side. So that's, that's I think, you know. No, I think it's fascinating with the This is obviously Bank of Japan being the constant consonants. They don't do anything. And the wild card being the Bank of England. So I think this is a really interesting chart. The next wild card comes in the form of the Bank of Canada. And we'll see what happens here because, a lot to me is riding on U.S. dollar Canada. I mean, such an it's a really interesting commodity play as well. But there are just a lot of different forces at work with dollar Canada right now. Yeah, I think dollar CAD is definitely overstretched to the downside. And if you look at the chart, there's been a lot of resistance um, around this 124 area. But we have seen a couple of retests in the last week or so. And as you guys were mentioning just a few minutes ago, the more you pressure a resistance, the less it's going to be effective. And this is kind of what I'm seeing here. So does the Bank of Canada play this pair higher? 
And how could that happen? Again, we've got a similar situation as Bank of England. So we are expecting the Bank of Canada to cut their weekly purchases from, I think it's currently at 2 billion Canadian dollars. They're expected to cut it at 1 billion Canadian dollars. But that's as far as, as they're going to go, I think. So again, markets are very hawkishly positioned for this. And is this small reduction in purchases going to be enough to satisfy markets when you have to think that this is already fully priced into the pair? So. Um, are they going to fall short of market expectations? I think uh, the bank said that they won't start hiking before mid or I think the end of 2022, whereas we've got interest rate markets pricing in a hike as early as the first or second quarter of 2022. So again, we've got this rate differentials between what the market expects and what the bank is saying and how is this going to affect the pair. And I think for me, given what the Bank of Canada is possibly going to be able to deliver isn't going to be enough to satisfy this market expectations and we probably see dollar cad moving higher a couple months ago chris vecchio your colleague came on he talked about the potential for new zealand to raise rates he happened to be spot on i mentioned them because their neighbor uh doesn't seem to be i think basically the australia they're going to tell you that they're probably a long ways off here so u.s dollar uh against the aussie here is really really interesting i think yeah, again, we saw this with, as you were mentioning, the the, um, the Bank of New Zealand. They were ready to, they were ready and primed, and they said they were going to, you know, start re- reducing all these monetary stimulus. Um, and then we had a spike. I mean, a very small spike compared to what we've seen in the US and the UK and in Europe. They had one case that then led to 20 or 50 cases, and they decided they weren't ready to do that. And that really hurt market expectations. And it's kind of now, are we in the same situation with the, with the um, Aussie dollar? Again, there's a big divergence between policymakers. They've said repeatedly, and it's highly likely they'll say this again uh, next week when they meet on Tuesday, that they don't expect any rate hikes before 2024. And then if you look at market expectations, I think there's 100 basis points um, of hikes priced in before the end of 2023. So again, we've got this big divergence between what banks are saying or what markets are saying, and how does this play into, again, a pair that's overextended, in this case, to the upside. So the dollar has been underperforming these high-yielding and commodity-linked currencies recently because of the move in energy prices and the move in commodity prices. And what does this mean for them when the banks come out and possibly disappoint? And this is what we're kind of playing in with this week. Apropos of nothing, and since we're speaking of New Zealand, two of the most frustrating fruits for me are both the pomegranate, which has nothing to do with this, and the kiwi, which has everything to do with this. But, Daniela, thank you so much for joining us. I know you're shaking your head in disapproval, but that's fine. Everybody else seems to do that to me as well. So thanks again for being here. Dan Nathan, Wax Poetics, before we get on out of town. All right, Desert Island guy, pomegranate or Butterfinger? What are you doing here? Like what, you know, Really? Really? Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I I guess it's a bit healthier, especially if you're trying to keep your shape on a desert island and waiting to be uh, rescued or something like that. All right. Well, listen, man, that was awesome. I mean, Daniela literally just took us on a whirlwind trip around the world of currencies. She's she's the bomb here. That was great. Um, Listen, on the equity front, you know, I'm just not about I love buying breakouts. Okay, that makes perfect sense to me. But after such a big move, after such a big ricochet in the equity markets, I just don't see it as that sustainable. 
sustainable. We just use that term back and fill on a number of different charts. You know, that's how you kind of build momentum for uh, meaningful breakouts. I don't like straight line up here. So I would expect a little back and fill maybe towards those um, breakout levels and some of those um, things that we talked about that are a bit extended right here. So to me, you know, as we're getting in the meat of Q3 earnings season, if all of those big names that we started out talking about that Carter talked about were to go down together, you're going to have a nice opportunity to get back in the equity markets there, Guy. Well done on the Butterfinger front, although that is a uh, <laughs> lousy candy. But I want to thank our guest, the great Daniela Sabine Hawthorne. Follow her on Twitter. She's a market analyst with IG. And I also want to thank our presenting sponsors for this week's macro setup. See why I take it down a little bit? Because yeah. this is important, Dan. I want to thank IGUS, one of the fastest growing Forex dealers in North America. Uh, North America, of course, being the ATAS Unis here in Canada, as you know. And of course, our friends, Dan, at Open Exchange, because what do they do, Dan? They manage virtual meetings that what? That matter, guy, Don. That matter, matter for the top companies around the world. We will see you next Thursday when, believe it or not, it will be November. Letter X for you commodity geeks out there. Later. See you next Tuesday. Guy Donnie. Tuesday. Tuesday. Sorry. Tuesday. <laughs> It'll still be November, though. How's that? All right. I'll see you Tuesday. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>